Today's Quora question, I'm actually going to do two because I found a couple that were interesting. And like in the last podcast, I did two that were sort of different. So one I talked about for a very short time, one I talked for a long time. And it seemed to work out for me. But the first one is, why do Canadians leave Canada to move to the U.S.? Now, if I want to redefine this question to what they're really asking, what they're really asking is, can you give me some ammunition to take Canada down a notch and prove that America is a better country so that I can tell my friends all Canadians leave Canada and move to America? The problem is the premise is not true because Canadians in general don't leave Canada to move to the U.S. Otherwise, Canada would have basically no population, uh, which it does. It has a population of people and that population doesn't change significantly from year to year because everyone's leaving. In fact, most people stay. I moved to Japan. So maybe if you ask me this question, why did I leave Canada to move to Japan? Well, I was just moving around. I went to Korea and then I went to Japan. Before that, I even went to Europe. And I had only planned on staying here for a short time, but then I found I had a very nice lifestyle and I settled here. And that was it. It wasn't because I thought Canada was a crap country. It's not because I thought Japan was a significantly superior country. I just happened to get a good job that suited me really well. And it provided me with the time to do the things I want. And my primary interest of coming to Japan was judo. And I've been able to do that the whole time I've been here. And I've had a really good time. So it wasn't really a planned thing. I fully intended to return to Canada at one point. At no point, I can honestly say, have I ever considered moving to America? Because America as a country is not that appealing to someone with my sensibilities. And someone with my sensibilities could probably be defined as Canadian. Most Canadians hold the same basic values I do. I'm sure there are people farther left and there's people farther right on the political spectrum. But at the end of the day... Most of the values I have that I have learned, I learned in Canadian society, and it's kind of a result of being Canadian. And America just, I'm sorry to have to break it to the person who wrote this question, it just isn't that appealing. It's not the place that everyone in the world wants to go anymore. My understanding is that Canadians that do move from Canada to America primarily do it for job, for work. So if the work was in a different country, if the work was in Mexico, they'd probably be moving to Mexico. If the work was in Europe, they would probably be moving to Europe. I see this question a lot. It's actually, how can I get some ammunition to further my argument that I have with other people, with friends, so I can prove my point? Can you provide me with that? I'm actually primarily disappointed with the lack of effort on the part of the person who put in the question, because you're really just trying to get other people to do your homework for you, which I've also seen on Quora. People ask essay-style questions and then expect someone to answer, and then they can just copy and paste that. I'm assuming at some point that has actually worked, though. The second question is a more fantastical question, which is 
kind of why I like the balance, a question I can shit on and then a question I can actually do and have some fun with. But the question is, how quickly could the U.S. Army conquer the world in Game of Thrones? Now, that's a really interesting question, but I think there is a base assumption there that the American Army would successfully take over the whole world of Game of Thrones. There's a couple of problems that I see. And one, they probably haven't taken into account the logistics of the size of the landmass they're talking about taking over. My understanding is Game of Thrones is about seven countries, maybe eight, and they seem to actually be talking about continents, not just countries. So there's a lot of really small kingdoms, and then there's a couple of really massive deserts and stuff. You've seen that all in the show. That is a logistical nightmare to hold for a military entity. And what you would run up against is guerrilla tactics, and even though they're generally a less advanced society, they would learn quickly. So they would find out, oh, these guys have guns, so we can't attack them directly. But they would immediately start trying to steal guns and stuff. They would try to turn that back on you. Now, I'm not saying that was, would be successful, because the level of technology is incredibly impressive. But the question hasn't put into place the criteria. So is it the military, just the people? Is it the military plus their equipment that they carry? So maybe a machine gun and a couple of magazines of ammunition? Because that's important. If your American army runs out of ammunition on the second day because they have no supplies coming in anymore, what are they going to do? Now they have to take on the tactics of the locals. And quite frankly, a lot of those locals might be better at those tactics. They've been using swords their whole life. So sure, you're going to mow down huge amounts of people in the first day. But... Day two, when you've run out of ammunition, and now you have to pick up a sword that you've probably never used before, and you're fighting a guy who's done nothing else, now the tables may very well turn. Uh, and then do they get to bring helicopters and tanks and stuff? But it's the same issue. How quickly do you run out of fuel? How quickly do you, do you run out of ammunition? I think the underlying implication here is that you get to bring everything and then supplies never run out. Well, then to be honest, it wouldn't be that hard because they would be able to subjugate most of the countries really quickly. I think the problem then would be, again, maintaining control over the whole world of Game of Thrones because the whole world is probably a lot bigger than we've actually thought of it. The, the show jumps around from place to place quite easily, which makes it feel like to the viewer that this is a very small space. But... I think in reality, they are talking about like Africa and Europe as sort of the concept of the main places. And that means there's probably still other countries out there. The secondary issue didn't seem to be taken into account were things like dragons and magic. So we've seen them raise the dead. We've seen dragons. We've seen women who can't catch on fire. We've seen a whole lot of things that we can't explain. Would the U.S. military be able to take these things into account quickly enough to defeat them? If they are going to take over the world, that would include taking over the White Walker faction, the guys in the north who are sort of snow zombies, which, again, just Canadians. But it is a really interesting consideration because could the American military, would their tactics be effective against an undead army? Because my first instinct is no. You can shoot it, it's not going to die. So what do you do next? Well, now you're going to be fighting again on their terms. So there was a term I learned from the internet, I think it was about six months ago, and it's something I've been reading about a little bit recently, and it's incels. Now, I've learned about incels and the go-your-own-way guys. Uh, that actually has a term that they, they use, but I, I kind of forget what it is now, but it's go-your-own-way, so guau, <laughs> something like that. I don't remember. But what I wanted to talk about incels, and it, incel stands for involuntarily celibate. 
And I don't think that is possible because it presupposes that someone is supposed to have sex with you. You aren't involuntarily celibate. You are inept at having sex. This is one of those terms that comes up, and actually the term itself tells you a lot about the thinking of the people who are using the term. I'm celibate, and I'm not celibate by choice, because no one wants to have sex with me. And that's not my fault. But clearly, if no one wants to have sex with you, that is absolutely your fault. That is something you could do something about. Now, what you're probably saying is you are incapable of being a women specifically want to have sex with, but there's nothing about this that is involuntary. You have voluntarily made your outer shell unappealing to women in some way, or at least have not put the work in to make it more appealing. You are perfectly capable of making your personality in such a way that it appeals to women to the point where they might actually want to have sexual intercourse with you. That the involuntary part of that is that you're not changing your personality. So you have control over your physical shape. Now, let's face it, you don't have a lot of control over your face. Your face is what it is. But you can make your face more appealing. You can take care of yourself. You can get some stylists to to work with you. And you can exercise and make yourself physically appealing. You can also work on your personality. There are a lot of less attractive people who are incredibly funny, and that's how they get women or they are charming, or they are incredibly smart, or they're dedicated or passionate, and they, they will find a partner who finds that trait appealing. But there is something to me that's incredibly lazy about the idea of the incel, because the involuntary part makes it seem like someone else should be doing the work to get you to have sex. And it almost seems like it's being put on the woman, when the woman clearly doesn't want to have sex with someone who doesn't put any effort into it. I've only read about this on the internet. I've only read about it through places like Reddit. It is a fascinating phenomenon because it is actually showing the, the privilege of a generation of today. A group of people who seem to believe that they are owed sexual intercourse as a state of being, which I at no point felt that's the way it was. I knew I had to work to get girls to like me. I knew I had to do things that they would find appealing. I knew I had to be nice to them. And I really, really quickly figured out that if you're actually just normal with them and treat them like people, some of them will respond to you very positively. Some of them won't. When talking about dating in university, I actually found that the best way to get women to find you attractive was to just be really nice to all of them. So you don't pick one woman and attack her with your charms or try to overwhelm her with your kindness. You just go and talk to everyone in the group and be really nice to the group. And maybe there's one you find particularly attractive. Maybe she responds, maybe she doesn't. But if she doesn't, you don't lose out on that chance. And if someone else does, maybe that one works out even better. So I never picked women and went after them. Well, that's not true. Of course, I did at times try to hit on specific women. But what I was talking about, when I went out to a bar, went out to do stuff, I never did it with the intent of getting a girl to come back with me. I would talk to girls, and I would talk to as many as I could, and I was not trying to get with any of them. And that was a surprisingly successful technique, because what I did was learn how to talk to people, and I learned how to be interesting to them or talk to them in a way that they found interesting so that when someone matched up with my sensibilities, 
they would find me attractive. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can already tell how successful that's been. I'm incredibly attractive to you, and you can't even see my face. I am gorgeous. Pale blue eyes that are just stunning. A jawline that just doesn't stop. I can't, actually. I'm losing my hair. Actually, having said that, I recently started going to a new judo club. And last week, he, the main teacher, someone I'd worked out with many, many years ago, for a few years, reintroduced me to the people who were there. And what he said was, this is Peter. He used to be really good at judo. He has gained weight, and he used to be better looking. That was his introduction of me to the group. So very much judo sensibilities going on there, and I found that quite funny. Even when I'm getting kind of uppity on myself about how successful I've been in some aspect, there is clearly someone from the judo world that will knock me down again, which is really good for keeping your ego in check. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast.